there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using you know sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live you know in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are. And you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of forward-thinking investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to awesome investors, you know, all week long. Today, we're chatting with Jeff Morris, who's the founder of Chapter One. Jeff, welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you. Uh, Monday morning, nine a.m. We're we're all uh, starting a new week, so excited. Ho- hopefully, I'm an awesome investor. Hopefully, I make the cut for that title, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see. Well, so for me, I so. I kind of live on, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. So I like all, everything I consume, like UVC wise is just like on the internet. And I definitely feel like Twitter gives me a really good read on like who are awesome investors, just based on like how they tweet, how they engage with founders versus um, ones that may, may, may not. So like, I feel like I look on Twitter, I look who's like cool, who everyone likes. I'm like, great, that's an awesome <laughs> investor. So boom, you, you made the cut. 100%. But now, yeah, you know, you, you did, but you didn't just like you know one day you decide you wanted to be an investor and then boom it just all happened you know you know it wasn't like an overnight thing for you so I think the first question that I have is kind of love to hear a little bit on your journey into venture um, I know you have you have a pretty awesome awesome history so feel free to dive into whatever you want but ultimately how did you get here as the founder of Chapter One and then we'll hear just a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, I think, you, you, I think you I froze a minute. I'll get yeah. it. Um, yep. I, I apologize about that. Ultimately, your uh, what? Um, we'll have to hear a little bit about your backstory and like how you ended up, you know, founding Chapter One Ventures. Just a little bit of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I'll, I'll give the highlights so it's not too uh, drawn out. But um, I was an operator for a long time. I grew up in the Bay Area, um, about five minutes from Sand Hill Road. Um, while I was operating kind of in the early 2000, 2011, 2012, I started to, to angel invest. And so um, I made two just really small investments in companies who were just friends of mine who I'd met through, through the startup world. Um, and then kind of once AngelList's came out, I, uh, I didn't have a ton of money. And I think that's part of maybe, maybe something that people can take away. I, I had, uh, I was making thousand dollar investments on AngelList and um, really kind of cut my teeth 
um, making some good and bad decisions on 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 the platform. And then uh, as I kind of progress through my career as an operator, my uh, really my breakout role was uh, I was an early member of the Tinder team, uh, was the third member of their product team. Eventually became the head of revenue, uh, kind of graduated Tinder as the VP of product. But while I was there, was still doing a lot of investing. My my transition was then I started to lead a syndicate on AngelList. So suddenly I was picking up the phone and calling founders and and investing money um, on other people's behalf. And then uh, while while at Tinder was a scout for Index Ventures, so again had a small capital pool that I I manage. And then towards towards the time I was leaving, which was August 2020, um, raised my own fund. And so it's been uh, baby steps to, to get to where I am. And hopefully I look back on where I am now and think that that, that was kind of a, a small step to, towards some greater goal, but, um, but it wasn't an overnight thing. I've been investing for seven plus years. So I, I do want to dive a little into the the kind of the precursor to all of this in, in a little bit, because um, I think that's really important, especially for people that are in the city, like even myself included, I'm someone that loves investing, but like, you know, very early in career. So like, how do you build on those like steps to get to, you know, a point where you have a firm, but for you, so let's talk about chapter, chapter one. So it all kind of led to chapter one. Can you kind of walk us through what kind of fun is it like, like early stage, late stage, or the, is a sector agnostic, just like ultimately high level um, what is chapter one and kind of what types of deals are you kind of looking to invest in? Yeah. So when I was leaving Tinder, I was torn between um, continuing as an operator or becoming a full-time investor. And um, I kind of structured my funds so I wouldn't have to choose between the two where I picked a, a value proposition that actually aligns with what I love to do, which is build products. And so uh, we primarily invest in early stage um, B2B and B2C startups where we're really clear with the founders like, hey, what we want to help you with is is product development, product recruiting. Basically, whenever you look at your cap table, we want to be the product investor um, for whatever that that means to you. And um, yeah, uh, kind of sector agnostic, love subscription business models. I think while I was at Tinder, saw saw how beautiful that business model is. So tend to do things with recurring revenue, um, tend to, to work with product driven founders. So former VPs of product, VPs of design, um, and then in some cases, VPs of, 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 uh, of engineering teams who just need some product help. Um, but I think for me, it was really important to align the value of the fund with what I actually enjoyed doing. Um, and it just so turned out that there was uh, a need in the market for that. Absolutely. So, so you, you mentioned kind of your, your, your time at Tinder and like, because you're, because of, you know, your experience there, you're almost biased in a great way of like, what kind of fun do you want to build? I have to guess like your time at Tinder has informed a lot of, you know, a lot of your decisions on who you invest and how you, how you build chapter one, et cetera. Um, do you, are there any like specific, um, I guess, learnings that you have, you know, from Tinder that you kind of brought into chapter one, um, you know, either like how you've built it or how you look at founders or business models or just cause Tinder, like Tinder is Tinder, right? This is like a hyper true hyper growth company. So you must have some awesome knowledge there. Have you pulled any of it with you? Yeah, there's a couple parts. One was the business model, which we just talked about. Um, secondly, anything on the consumer side, I kind of believe unless you do a, a, a massive pivot, it works pretty quickly. Like you, you know, 
what hyper growth is if you've seen it. And so um, when I see a pitch from a consumer founder who's been building something for multiple years and it's, it's still not quite there, I, I just kind of lean out um, for better or worse. And then in terms of like the early days of Tinder, we were really a design driven team which is kind of um, uh, funny within the, the dating category because I don't even know if our users cared or appreciated it, but we really uh, valued every every pixel, every piece of, of of real estate on on your screen. We, you know, we 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 like had massive debates about everything that ended up in production, and so I tend to look for for founders who really have that same meticulous uh, uh, kind of care for the the product, and so. One like classic example as well is that Tinder I invested in Superhuman, and when you meet Rahul, it's uh, pretty obvious that he's just a product enthusiast to to the his core, and um, those investments can be both exhilarating and frustrating because sometimes the the uh, products take longer to build. But um, uh, like Steve Jobs behind me, I kind of believe that that the only things that matter in investing are uh, product and marketing, so product and distribution. And if you don't have a great product, then uh, you're kind of fucked. And so um, so I always kind of start there and um, I don't need to see a lot to, to have an idea of, of a founder's product sensibilities, but um, I kind of look at the pitch process as being something, it's not an interview, but it's something that lo- would look like if I was um, interviewing or talking to someone who I might be hiring on a product team. So that's really helpful to kind of understand what you look for in a team, in a founder, you know, very product driven. Um, I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, there's two things, the two general you know, elements here. There's there's the founder and the, and the pr- product and like kind of marketing or, or I guess, um, in other words, like the market and how you're able to get to it. Do you, do you have any, um, like when you look at chapter one, um, are you kind of market agnostic as long as the product is there or are there types of markets that are more interesting to you? How do you kind of think about that side of the coin? I think there's types of markets, there's themes, like you naturally get pulled into different worlds as an investor. Like if you invest in um, a collaboration startup, suddenly you find yourself being pitched the same things. Um, uh, early on in my investing career, it's pretty obvious people pitch me a lot of dating apps. Um, through this fund, I've become uh, really obsessed with things that 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 are are helping people in the creative space uh, be more efficient or more productive. And creative space, I mean, engineers, PMs, and 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 designers. So I've, I've done a lot of kind of uh, tools that help those those personas create better work, um, which has led me to developer tools, designer tools. Uh, product tools and, 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 and those types of things. But I try and be pretty open-minded. I think um, one trap you can run into as a pre-seed or seed investor is trying to uh, be too smart about what you're looking for. I think at the A and beyond, you can be really um, uh, thesis-driven. I, 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 I've met some pre-seed and seed investors who are thesis-driven, but to me, it's pretty limiting because I meet smart people all day long who know more about some topic than I have even thought of. And so for me to, to, to limit myself to what I currently know, I think is, is not the best approach, but, um, but we'll see if that's, if that's right in the end. I think uh, it, it can go both ways. Yeah, it, it, it is 
one of these like kind of things venture capital where it's hard to know exactly you know what what it looks like until like five seven years down the line but i think that what, what i really you know appreciate about venture capital is that you know while while you're kind of like waiting to see how the fund performs whatever like you're like working with like the, like you just said the smartest founders that you that you can like they're building you know great companies so i think it's like a very rewarding at least in my, my view uh profession so I have a question that is kind of current event based and I don't know if you have, it's like very recent. So, so if you don't have thoughts on it, that's totally fine. But I sure. have been thinking about a lot, a lot about just like COVID and how COVID has impacted early stage investing. And I feel like at least in, you know, San Francisco, LA, maybe New York, it's been very like for like lots of capital to go around, lots of capital being invested. Um, and just this morning, very recently, like, you know, there's this vaccine that might be developed and the stock market is up and like Zoom is down. And it's just like, I'm curious, do you think, what are your thoughts on 2020 as a investment year and, and what will 2021 or 2022 look like? Obviously, no one has a crystal ball here, but do you have any kind of any thoughts on the macro environment based on like, if hopefully when COVID goes away? Yeah, I'm. I'm reading the same news you are, which is um, this morning kind of a rebound of uh, the travel industry. Uh, Lyft was up uh, 20% today, which um, is is pretty incredible. And so, I don't think companies are going to rush back to work in in 2021. Uh, all the major companies have been pretty clear that there's going to be some hybrid model of of work next year. And so, whether or not um, uh, that kind of continues we'll we'll see but you know i've kind of thought 2021 is going to be a lot of the same um people working from home uh which will lead to more kind of innovation within asynchronous work distributed work um as far as as kind of like the the, the longer term you've seen a preference amongst employees to have a hybrid model and i think a lot of people have um uh, decided they want to leave the Bay Area, which has created um, uh, different challenges and opportunities for, for companies. Um, on the opportunity set, I think there's just a much larger talent pool to choose from for companies, which um, to me is really exciting. But it's, I think it'll it'll become almost like like politics, right? Like you'll have some companies that are really firm in, in their belief that you should be uh, uh, in the same building, and then you'll have have some like independent party, which is hybrid, and then you'll have the uh, the party that's fully remote. Um, I, I, I've, I've seen functional teams throughout COVID working remote. And so I also have, um, uh, I've invested in so many remote companies that I'm just biased towards my belief that remote does work, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I, for me, like I read something might've been on Twitter. I feel like like all I read is Twitter these days that it's like now um, because the world's going so remote because of COVID and whatnot, um, like a quote unquote company perk would be like, oh, like we have an in-person office option too. And I think, I think it, which is ironic, but it's one of these things where like, I don't think anyone actually knows. You just have your theories and your thesis and like hope you're right, but also, you know, know that like it could go anyway, um, which I, I don't know what way it's going to go. 
So my kind of the last couple of questions I have for you um, is, you know, right now, you know, we got some founders that are listening live. We have, you know, founders that are listening to the recorded version, um, you know, and many of them are all sorts of stages of companies, you know, from idea stage all the way to like, you know, a million in AR or something like that. I'm curious for you, like, what is one thing as you talk to founders all day that you feel like, um, that you feel like, more founders should like understand about venture capital. I think it's kind of slightly mystified, you know, it's kind of unknown you go in and try to raise capital. Um, and I think there's a lot of things that founders, you know, learnings after the fact. So is there something that, you know, about venture capital that you wish more founders knew before they pitched you, before they reached out um, to kind of help aid them in their process of raising capital? Yeah, I think one um, thing on the other side that I've just seen is, is just like founders, we have a business model. And so, um, especially in the era of like rolling funds and scouts and, and everybody being an investor, um, when you pitch a fund, even a fund as, as small as mine, we have uh, limitations on what we can do based on that business model. So um, specifically, like as funds get larger, they're going to need larger allocations. And so being realistic about, um, uh, especially if you're in a competitive round um, about kind of like what each investor needs and really thinking about um, what their goals are for their funds is helpful. Um, it's not required, but it might just save you a lot of time. I think the most painful situations for both sides are when um, you both agree that you want to work together, but there's only like 25K or 50K left and um, and it just kind of sucks to have to walk away from from the table because of that. So that's that's one thing. And then um, you know, I've talked about this on Twitter a little bit, just um, kind of uh, being being persistent and not assuming that um, uh, lack of communication equals lack of interest. Often it does, but um, for solo GPs or smaller funds, we don't have the infrastructure to to like make sure every touch point is is covered for, and so. Um, uh, just being being really proactive about following up and and understanding that that smaller funds are are normally just a couple people uh, like small little shingles that uh, that are still figuring out their operational uh, kind of kind of strategies and approaches and um, so I always just tell founders to to be persistent on on follow ups which is pretty obvious but I've seen a lot of Twitter commentary about like what is ghosting versus what is not ghosting and um, and and then just assuming like I, I I hope that there's just a uh, it feels like there's a divide in terms of like Twitter culture between founders and investors and um, uh, hopefully hopefully we can all give each other more more benefit of the doubt um, because I think generally speaking most investors are are good people they're often really busy people and so um, uh, yeah, that's that's just that's just another another part of it I could, I would consider. Yeah, that's something I um, need to remind myself very often. I as is I mean I'm not really like a I don't really know what I am whether founder or investor. I'm just kind of doing my thing, I guess. But like oftentimes when I have been a founder, I for, yeah, it's easy to forget that like investors are you know extremely busy, you know, and investors sometimes you know they, they may not be able to get back to you because there's a trillion other things to do. And I think like keeping the emails going is core. So I really appreciate that perspective. My last question for you, and it's a little bit of a, uh, 
the random question. Um, I'm trying it out. I just thought of it. I think it's interesting. But I think as like, you know, you look at Y Combinator, they have like a long list of RF, uh, yeah, RFPs, like requests for products or, you know, hey, like you should build this. I'm curious for you to, to, to finish this out. Is there any product or market or just anything that like you you just want to invest like you'd like to invest in if the right team was building it and if so i'd love to kind of hear what's on your rfp or wish list or even just like interesting market list just the kind of like what's what what's on your mind on that front to finish it out yeah i think um um i've i've worked with with hundreds of international contractors whether it's de developers designers um, and I just believe there's so much talent um, in places we can't even begin to to predict. And so um, I've worked with amazing designers in Romania and uh, all across Europe. And so anything that I think um, uh, uncovers like really uh, untapped talent is always really interesting to me. And so um, uh, just like the labor marketplace tends to be interesting. Um, because I don't think, I also don't think LinkedIn does a good job of surfacing those people. And um, when you go to something like Upwork, it's kind of overwhelming in, in terms of, of, of the number of people there. So that's that's one area. And then, um, you know, I, I think as, as teams go more remote, anything that helps uh, teams, uh, team culture and, and helps people get to know each other better when you're remote um, is interesting. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but um, it's kind of like, what's the equivalent of like, uh, uh, like the happy hour when you join a company or, um, the team lunch. And so I don't think that's going to be zoom happy hours. Um, and it's probably more persistent, but, um, in a world where you turn on your computer and you're new at a company, like, how do you, how do you get to know people? And so it's kind of like the, uh, the social socialization of the workplace and how do you like create like social networks within each, each company that, um, that might be out there. So those are like two areas I'm, I've been kind of thinking about. Cool. And if a founder is like building in that space or just someone wants to learn more about you, find you on Twitter, find your website, how can someone get in touch? What's your Twitter, you know, URL, what's your website, any link that you want to share, feel free. If so people can get in touch, you know, if they want. Yeah. Most of my, um, thoughts and information are on Twitter. I'm JMJ is the handle. And then, um, have chapter1.vc. I'll be switching to chapter1.com soon, which um, uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled about that. Um, yeah, look on Twitter and you'll, uh, you'll see me tweeting random things. Twitter is where it's going on. Well, I appreciate <laughs> you coming onto the podcast. I, I'm really excited about what you're building and looking forward to seeing all the awesome investments uh, for the years to come. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you all for listening to that podcast of Forward Thinking Investors live from the radio station in Forward Thinking City. What is Forward Thinking City? Forward Thinking City is the number one virtual community for people to break into tech and startups. We have a combination of AMAs with the, the best founders and investors out there. And we have educational sessions on how to fundraise for your startup and how to learn to build 
products with no code. And of course, we have tons of networking events, for example, open coffee hours and pitch club. Um, so you can get practice meeting other people and pitching your product in front of dozens, if not hundreds of other residents. For Thinking City is $20 a month. And in exchange, you get access to all of these founders, all of these potential future employees, these future investors, as well as the education that you need to take your startup to the next level. If you are trying to level up as a founder or an investor or startup enthusiast, go to forwardthinking.city and we'll see you over there. Note some of events are free, so if you're just interested, if this piqued your interest, go to forwardthinking.city and RSVP to some events. And if you feel like it, sign up as a resident and I'll see you on the other side.